This is episode number 30 with Terry Trespicio, and today we're talking about how to stand out in a sea of sameness. Welcome to the Good Life Coach Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Lamoureux. The intention of this show is to awaken you to your fullest potential. Join me each week for inspiring interviews to elevate an area of your life, as well as interviews with women entrepreneurs who are creating success on their own terms. Each episode provides actionable tips to guide you to design a life you love. Hey there, it's Michelle and welcome back. I can't believe that we're on episode 30. I'm really excited about that. And I recently learned that most people who launch a podcast quit somewhere between episode 10 and 20. And really the reason for that, I think, is because people don't know and they underestimate how much work creating a podcast is. They don't realize how much goes into it. And you have to really, really love the process. You have to love connecting uh, either if you do a solo show or interviews, you have to really love creating the content and diving deep into these topics and showing up each and every week and making it happen. And also, I think another reason is that when you're a new show, you often don't have a sponsor, like I don't have any sponsors, so you're self-funding it. And so between the time commitment and then the financial commitment, I think some people just decide it's not worth it. And I think that's totally fine. You really need to do what makes you happy and ultimately provides value. So what I want to say is thank you. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for giving me your time. I'm so honored. And my hope is that you find value through the content that I'm creating, whether hearing the women entrepreneurs inspires you, because their stories are all so unique and interesting, or the experts and influencers who come on and talk about finance or relationships or specific topic. I hope that that somehow brings you more fulfillment, joy, information that helps you create success in your life. And so I just wanted to say thank you to all of you and also to let you know that the show is growing. So just if you're curious, it's Uh, downloaded in over 30 countries on six continents. And I can tell from the numbers that it's growing. And I want to thank you for that as well. That probably means that you're forwarding it to friends. And I hope that you'll continue to do that. My hope is that the show will get to as many women as possible and help them rise because I believe together we do rise. And that's really my mission. That's, That's what lights me up and that's what keeps me committed to doing the show each and every week. So anyway, on that note, let's talk about today's guest. I have on Terry Trespicio, who's a brand strategist. And so if you're a small business owner, an entrepreneur, a lawyer, a finance expert, an accountant, and you need to figure out how to stand out in a sea of sameness, in other words, you need to stand out from your competitors, the thousands of people who do what you do, That's what Terry does. That's her work. And so she tells us her story of how she worked for Martha Stewart. She was um, a magazine editor and radio host at Martha Stewart. She's also appeared on The Today Show, Dr. Oz, The Martha Stewart Show, Anderson Cooper Show, and her work has been featured in Oprah Magazine, Marie Claire, Business Insider, Forbes.com, and Inc.com. And in addition, Terry has a TEDx talk that has more than 4 million views, which is incredible. So we're going to get into what she did to create that talk. And in addition, uh, Terry is a stand-up comedian, which I think is really cool. It's, it also makes her stand out and it makes her unique. And all of her various experiences is what helps her help her clients stand out. So on that note, let's meet Terry. And as a reminder, all the show notes from today will be over at thegoodlifecoach.com forward slash zero three zero. Let's meet Terry. Hey, Terry, thanks for joining me today. 
Thanks for having me. So we are going to be talking about how to stand out in a sea of sameness when you're developing your copy, you're going to do a talk. But I love asking my guests to start with their story because it helps set the stage for who you are and how you, what led you to do the work that you do. So I'd love it if you could take a minute to introduce yourself. Well, I grew up in New Jersey. I went to all girls Catholic private school. I, from the moment I was 14, was being prepped for college. I mean, I was bred to be a student. I just, I was good at it. It's what I knew. It was my first career, as it is for all of our first careers, but not everyone loves their first career. I did. I went on to go to Boston College and then, uh, you know, you think like, oh, she's all set up for success because she had great education. But after I graduated college, I did not apply for any jobs because I somehow had this real psychological block. Um, I was always a writer. I had been a poet and studied poetry and won awards in poetry ever since high school. And yet when it came to getting a job, I thought, no one's looking for me. And mm. why would I bother? I'm not as important. Certainly there's plenty of other people who are doing great work. No one needs another writer. I was obviously very depressed. <laughs> I was depressed. <laughs> leaving school and I just couldn't bring myself to do it. So I, I was afraid of everything. So I just tempted and like hated myself. And like, <laughs> I remember temping at this office job and was like, uh, and I'd walk to the, I lived in Boston and I walked to the T and I would just cry the whole way. And I was like, I don't even know what I'm doing. I was set up for success the way education sets you up, but they don't do a lot in terms of helping you mm. actually understand what you should do. Um, and I didn't know. So I, I was a dancer too. I danced for fun. I danced at performances, but I just was, I was a real late bloomer. So it wasn't until my mother, as I talk about in this TED talk that has done very well in it, I say, my mother was like, you need to get a job, any job. <laughs> and I said, but I would not. I was afraid of committing. Mm -hmm. I said, if I get a job in this place, I'll be stuck there. And she's like, you're not going to be stuck. You just leave if you want to leave. I said, no, once I get a job, I'll be on this one-way track. I'll be an assistant forever. I'll never change. And then I'll be stuck and I won't live my life. She's like, you're not living a life now. Oh. Because I, I would just call her at night. I would come home from the temp job and I would sit there, eat dinner in my underwear, call my mother. And when she answered the phone, I would just cry. I didn't even say anything. I would just stop. And she's like, honey, you need to get a job. But then I'll be stuck, honey. You don't have any friends. Like you oh need to do God. something. And so I was really beside myself and got a job as an executive assistant at an office at a very nice think tank uh, that was associated with MIT because a woman worked there who I had met once and she said, come work here. We need an executive assistant. And I was like, okay. I had to learn what it was to be in an office. I mean, I really need to learn. And I came to life in that job. I did not like getting up early and going into an office and I had to make people's travel plans and do their PowerPoint. It was not my favorite job, but that's where I learned what it was to have people need you and to develop a skill that someone needed and wanted. I felt, you know, as a member of that office, I made friends there and that job changed my life. Uh, I was only there for two years and I left and went back to school because that's why I knew what I was good at. Mm -hmm. And I was lucky. I was lucky to be in a position and to have parents who would support that because masters of fine arts and poetry ain't practical and ain't cheap. And so I was lucky to be in a position to do that. And I rec recognize, and I check my privilege there, but I did get to go and do that and focus on writing and also teaching. So I got, uh, they, Emerson college has a fellowship program where they let students teach, not just TA, mm. teach your own course as a grad student, teach freshman writing comp. And so while I was at toward the end of my master's time there, I said, Oh, I want to do this fellowship. This is part of why I came to the school. My friends are like, this is really hard. Like that fellowship, not everyone gets it. They only have a few spots. I said, Oh no, but I'm definitely doing that. And so you see the difference between feeling that no one wants you and then the feeling that I was like, oh, I'm definitely doing that. It was never a question in my mind. So my friends go, okay, we're going to apply too, but I was like, oh no, I went in there, did it, got it. Wow. It was the, and it was like, I'm getting this, like, and I knew it. And sometimes you just know, but I had spent my life for years questioning my own abilities. But when I got in front of a classroom, things never went back from there. I didn't pursue a career in academia, but I knew that I liked to speak and I liked to teach. I liked to help people understand ideas that were difficult to uh, absorb at first and to help them 
with their writing. And so that planted a lot of seeds. And after that, I went on to get a copywriter job at a catalog company that sold wigs and hair pieces. I did that for a couple <laughs> of years. I did, you know, I was my first creative copywriting job. I was very excited to get to write for a living. I mean, I was thrilled. And then after that, I've only had a handful of jobs in my life, not a ton um, of full-time jobs. After that, uh, I was invited to apply for an associate editor job at a little known magazine called Body and Soul. And it was just, it was changing over from another old hippie, super hippie magazine, right? So they were changing over and I had no real experience, but I said, I, I think I can do this, you know, maybe, who knows? There's probably a lot of people better than me, which is what I always thought. <laughs> and I got the job and I didn't know why I got it. I didn't, I was like, how did I get this job? And that set me on a path in magazine publishing, which I had secretly always wanted to do, but was afraid to do it. Um, so I came up through publishing that magazine. Six months later was purchased by Martha Stewart. Wow. She doesn't, she doesn't usually purchase magazines. She makes her own. And we were a little known magazine up in Massachusetts and our publisher did a bang up job of selling a flea bitten magazine that couldn't pay its bills wow. to Martha. Wow. And the day they sold it, people came in and took all the bills and made them go away. We couldn't even pay a writer. It's like it was really in the red. Um, and then, of course, made it over in her likeness, which is a great thing when, you're, when it's Martha Stewart. And I knew then that as the heads rolled of the leadership at the time, they clear out and they bring new people. Mm. I was just low enough that I knew I could grow in the company. Mm. And a very wise boss said to me, I've been let go, but if you want to stay here, do what they want don't try to fight it, make yourself valuable to them or leave. And so when through many iterations of this, it was five years, we're still living in Massachusetts, still being run by Martha's company. Wow. And we get this sense it's a tipping point where she's going to move it to New York. We hear this as a rumor. We know it's coming. And I was like, I've always wanted to live in New York. I want to go. So I called the company, the headquarters of Martha Stewart Living Omnimedia and said, I know you're not allowed to make the announcement yet. And I know we're not supposed to know, but there's a rumor going around that this magazine is moving to New York. And they said, well, we can't comment on that. And I said, okay. And they said, well, what if it were to do that? Would you want to move? And I said, yes. Mm. They said, well, go talk to your publisher. I said, okay. So I went and all my friends were like, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. Everyone was invited to, when they announced it, everyone was invited to apply for their jobs in New York. And you know what? You don't take sand to the beach. New York is crawling with editors. So everyone was let go but me. Wow. And Terry. they said, and it wasn't because I'm a great, I mean, I'm a good editor, but that wasn't why. There's plenty of great editors here who've worked at eight other magazines. But, and this is a lesson for us all, I like to do lots of things. So I wasn't just a print editor. I had started volunteering to host the radio show they had launched because they had no one to host it. And I just, I wanted to do the TV segment. So I started doing that. I had enough different bags of tricks that I was different than the other editors because I was a steal. I could do lots of things for them for this brand that they wanted to make over and move to New York. And I didn't cost them that much. Mm. So I was invited to move. And I went to, they gave me a day to find an apartment and a day to move. Oh and... <laughs> <laughs> to New York City from an 1,100-square-foot apartment to a 300-square-foot apartment. Uh, but yeah, so that's the history of it is because I feel that my life in many ways started when I got to New York. But realize when I first got that job in magazine publishing, I was already 30. Mm -hmm. And when I moved to New York City, I was 36. Mm -hmm. So I was not coming here as a wide-eyed young thing. I was coming here as, as an adult being like, okay, let's see what happens. So I came here, worked for the magazine for two years, hosting the show in the morning. There's a radio show on the Martha Stewart channel, which used to be on Sirius XM. And I would go down in the afternoon and edit the magazine till eight at night with the other editors. But it was just like, that was my life. And I would take a cab home and go, do I live here? I've never even done anything. All I do is work. Uh, I don't feel that I fit in here. Hmm. This is... This is good. It's good experience, but like these, this is not my world. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that I am long for this world. And my mother said, what are you going to do? Leave that job. What are you, <laughs> you going to make a living? And then she said, but you know, they'd let you go as soon as look at you if they needed to. And I said, oh, I know that. And I said, and in fact, I can't believe they haven't let me go yet. And the next day they let me go. Oh my goodness. They let me go with scores of other editors who all walked out in their Dansko clogs, holding boxes and wearing buns, crying their eyes out. Except I skipped and danced the whole way out because I said, I don't have to quit. I get severance. I have the permission to move on. Mm. I've been here seven years. It is time. 
And so I left and then I said, okay, so now I have experience at a magazine. Why don't I look at some other magazine jobs and look at other jobs? And I looked at the jobs and they all look like suits on a rack that didn't fit me. And I was like, I don't want to do this. How about I just don't get a job? Would it be cool if I just stayed home and people told me what they needed and paid me for it? That was the idea. Wow. So that's how you got started. (laughs) And that's how it started. (laughs) Put it this way. I knew that the writing was on the wall, that some stuff was going to, I said, I feel that I'm, this relationship is ending. And so I would be, I had that radio show and I would be interviewing guests and the guests who I thought were real sharp, I would make sure I connected with them. I started putting out feelers just to know who was around. And I started reaching out to people I'd known and met at conferences and just, Hey, just so you know, I don't know, I could be looking for something. And one of those women, I called her. I said, I just got let go today. She goes, good. Come to Minneapolis. Let's talk about blah, 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 blah. Some project we need help with. Work appears when you're ready for the work. Mm. Yeah, that's so good. And it happened. Yeah. It happened. But that client, and then I got one other client, and then I was like, oh my God, I'm doing good. This works. And then that client goes away, and then you have to replace it. And then yeah. and you realize yeah. the up and down of the entrepreneurship, which anyone who has ever run their own business or practice understands. Absolutely. So I stayed home forever. That's what I did. (laughs) (laughs) You've not left your home office. No, I have. (laughs) That's what I did. I decided I knew I had a a set of viable skills. I knew I had a set of skills and I knew people needed them, but I knew they wouldn't know they need them unless I told them. And so in the beginning, I didn't know how I was going to make money. So I said, hey, I'm like an ad hoc editor, writer, content producer. I was like, oh, and I would say to people, what are you, what's your biggest headache with content? Like, what do you need? They're like, we just wish we had some, oh, I can do that. So I was like water. I just formed whatever people needed. I didn't create a brand to go, here's what I'm going to do and what I'm not going to do. I didn't know. I spent years doing lots of different projects to figure it out. And, oh, I'll do that. Oh, I hated that. I'll do this. Oh, I like this. I've done all kinds. Of, I wrote Godiva chocolate copy for I mean, like I wrote beauty copy for Birchbox. Like I did lots of one-off jobs. I like that. I, we have to go with what works for us personality wise. I love a Korean dinner approach to career. I want a little bowl of this over here, spicy, sweet. I want lots of different things. So this suited me really well. And I liked it. It's not for everyone, but I think you miss out if you feel that you must narrow too much in the beginning when you're not sure what you want to do. Yeah, this is so good. And actually, I didn't know any of your stories. So it all makes sense to me now, knowing you a little bit more. And we'll be the audience will be getting to know you more. And the fact that you do stand-up comedy, you've done a TED Talk that's had almost 5 million downloads. We're going to get into all of that. But hearing your story now, I'm it's making so much sense. So I'm also hearing at the heart of it, you're a writer. You're also, you see big picture, you see connections, you see how to help people out of their box. It's almost like you're their mom. I mean, it's just funny when you're yes. saying your mom's like, get the job. You you know, when you see their copy or you hear their challenges, how to get them to articulate what makes them different. And, and that's yes. actually what we're going to talk about today. So the people listening, you could be in-house at a corporation. You could be in a professional service job. You could be an attorney in finance. You could be an entrepreneur. It doesn't matter. You have to be able to articulate what differentiates you? Why you over all the other yes. people that do what you do? So um, you've you try different things on. You try them on and see. You won't know if you, until you try it. Well, that's right. So talk to us about what you see um, as why it's important. Let's start there. Why is it important? Why is it important to stand out? And how should people think about crafting their language to resonate with the audience? Because that's really your sweet spot now, isn't that what? You do? Yes. But yeah. It, yeah, it took me years to figure out that that's what I like doing. Sometimes I would write articles for them or write this. And then I was like, that was fun for a while, but I don't know if I want to do that. What I recognize, so there's two things happening, right? There's what I like to do and do for people. And there's the element of this that you can take away and try and use for yourself. Yeah. So my sweet spot is, uh, it turns out I don't like long ongoing engagements where I have to write tons and tons of stuff. It doesn't make the most sense. I work really fast and quick and intensely with groups and individuals and I do it lightning fast and then I need a nap. So that works for me. But what I do is I dig in to help them identify, help anyone identify what that messaging is. I am industry agnostic. I don't care what you do, who you do it for. If we can understand 
what your problem you're solving, who you're doing it for, why they care, their fears, their aspirations, and what you're delivering to them. That's like the key. But the problem is when we go in saying, I need to write my tagline, I need to write copy. Mm-hmm. Don't think in terms of copy, tagline, copy, emails, f- courses. Those are all funnel tools. Like, oh, I want to get people toward me. Da, da. It all starts with the message. That's why it doesn't matter whether I'm helping someone figure out their messaging for the website, their mission, or their TED Talk, because it starts with the DNA of the message. Why are you doing what you do? And it better not be just because you like doing it. I like doing what I do, but that's not why it sells. Why I'm able to secure big corporate clients is because I know where their blind spots are. And they, and most of us, cannot brand ourselves because we are so close to it. We don't know what's different. It's like water to a fish. We just do what we do. So, just so happens that earlier today, I was on a group call with a bunch of entrepreneurs who were struggling with their own messaging. And a lot of the things they brought up are things that would serve us here because some of them said, yes, I, I, I need to figure out what makes me different. Trying to be different or crazy or like, you know, that tends toward gimmicky. The fact is there are probably hundreds, if not thousands of people who do what you do. That's good. You know why? Because if you're the only one doing it, would mean that there's no need for it. So it's okay that there's lots of other people. Don't look at it as how am I going to beat all those enemies out. I don't spend a lot of time looking at people who do what I do. They're doing what they do. I do what I do. The key is to identify not just what makes you different, because I find that is very tricky, because that's the assumption is you're too boring and I need to make you interesting. <laughs> the problem is that we all tread water along the top and try to make nice sounding copy that sounds smart. Mm-hmm. And that often goes right over your head. What we need to do is go down, down, down deep and touch the ocean floor of what it is that you care most about and why you think it matters to someone else. Because I don't care that you care about it. I only want to know that it's useful to me. And so... The problem most people have is that they go for the assets first. They go to copy, to tagline, to emails, to mm-hmm. the courses, and they try to do it through assets. Someone's like, I need to, someone literally said on the call, I need to get this graphic designer to help me with my social media presence because that'll help me. I go, no, it won't. That's going to be another asset. It's like a bunch of unruly assets that you're that won't make any sense when you have more of them. So the key is to figure out what mission you're on. If it's out to serve you, you're dead in the water. Hmm. It's got to be that you're serving someone else. So, you know, everyone talks about Simon Sinek and people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. But the why can't be because you like it. My why, I mean, I tried one out. I said, okay, I do what I do because I believe above uh, most uh, people settle for average language to express their above average work. They settle for the words everyone else uses, and then they sound like everyone else. Mm -hmm. They don't even think to go outside the box. They don't know where the box starts or ends. And so the question is, and the best way to show this is by way of example, take executive coaches, for instance. Mm -hmm. A lot of executive coaches out there. Well, my oldest friend in the world, who I've known since kindergarten, uh, she is an executive coach, but she, and she works with startup people. So do a lot of people. I said, well, what's the promise So don't think copy, don't think cute taglines, don't think nice names, don't care about any of that. What is the real problem there you're solving? Mm -hmm. And she says, well, specifically the people I work with are founders of tech startups who got funding. So they have all this money and they're in a panic because now people who gave you money want to see you do something, please, with their investment. And they're in a panic because they don't know how to manage or grow an organization or scale. They don't have that skill. They have tech startup skill. And so they're in a panic about how to do that. And so this coach says, that's where I come in. Mm. And I said, okay, so what's the problem? She thought, oh, well, uh, the problem they thought was going to be the hardest thing was going to be to get their funding. And I said, there's the thing. So the language I gave her, and she's a dear friend. Her name's Ann Meal. She's fantastic. I said, put this on your website. It should say, you thought getting funding for your business would be the hardest part. You were wrong. Because a lot of these people find the money and they go, oh, crap, now I have this money. Ah, now I have obligations. They're more stressed out than when they didn't have the money. When they didn't have the money, they knew how to be scrappy. They knew they had big dreams. Someone gives you money and says, build a dream, please. Mm -hmm. That's scary. So I said, 
That is what you do. Sure. Could you do other people? Could someone go, well, can you help me with this situation? Of course. But you don't go, hey, I can do everything. In fact, what she had on her website was, have you ever considered hiring a coach? And I said, the answer is no. It's no. So you're not telling me to do it. Right. That's about her, not about them in a way. Right. Yeah. Your mm-hmm. website, if we're going to talk about messaging and where it appears and where someone's going to see it is your is your website, but it's also where you present yourself on stage and, and emails and everywhere else. That website should not be a mirror in which you see yourself. It should be a mirror that your user can see herself in. So it should reflect their things, not your things. Mm-hmm. But most people are very caught up in talking about what I do what I offer and what my services are. What I do, what I offer, and what my services are is not a brand. That's your business. That's your job. A brand is, I know what you need and I can uniquely offer that. For instance, what I do, a lot of people do. There's a lot of brand strategists out there and I don't even use that word. I keep changing it. Brand advisor, <laughs> branding creative. I don't care about the title that much. I really don't. I use brand advisor because I saw some chick use it at a conference. I go, that's cool. I'm going to use that. I fully ripped it off, but she does her things her way. I do it my way. I don't even remember. But my point is this, I do it how I do it. I'm not supposed to work with everyone. And I can't emphasize this enough that your brand is not to open up bigger doors to let everyone in so you can have all the business. You'll never have all the business. You don't want all the business. I want to work with like 10 people this year, but that's it. That's cool. I will, over the course of my lifetime, work with maybe a couple hundred people. That is all I need to live. I could share with a lot more people, but I can't help 5 million people, though 5 million people can watch the TEDx talk. Great. I can't help 5 million. So the more specific your language can be, the more unique and the more, if you want to draw people in with a strong magnet, that better push the wrong people away. So when I hear people, especially women, say, well, I don't want to piss this person off. I don't want to make this person feel that... One woman owns an inn called the Fox and Hound Inn, which is so charming sounding. You know, I don't want to get people mad who are animal rights activists. I said, are animal rights activists lining up at the door to stay at your inn? If not, guess who I don't care about? Animal rights activists. You got to go where the people who pay you, right? And so for me, for instance, there's a million people in this one city block I'm on. They're all home doing brand stuff like me. But I do one thing differently. The way I talk about it is different. The way I am, and I have the luxury of this, it is my personality. I am the brand. I don't have a huge team that does it for me. Uh, So there's that. I also have a deliverable that I I have mentioned to you that I'm very proud of, which is for, for big corporate accounts, I go to them, do their branding. I sit with them for a day. I do it overnight, and I deliver it the next day, finished. No one does that. They take a few weeks. They interview people. They draw it out. They charge for money. I said, I charge a good amount, but it's tight. And then we're both done with each other. Good day, sir. And you know what? They love it, especially in financial services, because they're like, sweet, we'll have it done overnight. Check. They don't want to do it. No, they don't. And And they shouldn't. And they shouldn't. They shouldn't do it. No. They shouldn't. No. But here's another thing. Mm -hmm. People think that they need to sell their process. So they say, well, Here's my brand. When you come in, I give you a donut and then I give you a massage and then we talk about your bit. That's process. That's your unique process. That's lovely. I care about that when I care about working with you and I don't know if I care yet. So don't lead with process. That's like the dentist saying, you should come see me because I numb your tooth before I dig at it. Oh, great. That's good. I hope that you do that. So I say this because people ask me about my process. One guy I talked to yesterday said, but we don't understand how you do that. How does it work? I said, you don't need to do any prep work, Bob. You just show up in the room and I will just let me drive. Like, this is what I do. It's what you're paying for. Mm-hmm. Go, well, we just don't get how it works. And I said, do you want to learn the process because you want to launch a brand strategy firm? Or do you want me to do this for you? Because the decision you have to make today is not whether or not I can do my job, but whether you want what I can do for you. Totally. That's so, different. Right. So let's so let's unpack this because you, you've said a lot, which is all so helpful. So what I'm hearing and just I think we talked about this before the show, but I ran global marketing for a law firm for over a decade and worked in this world that you work in. And it's true, first of all, that people in this world should let the the brand specialists, advisors, whatever title you want to call it, do their magic because that's definitely not their strong suit. And they do tend to want to tell people who they are versus speak to the needs of the others. So that's one of the key things I want everyone to take away that you mentioned. Huge, huge, huge. What are the pain points? 
what's going to resonate, speak to their needs and not what you want to say. Um, plain English. Plain English. Right. Don't use big words and make it overly complicated so nobody knows what the heck you're doing when they read your website. Don't worry about tagline and don't think about copy. Think about messaging. That's really what I'm taking away. But Terry, I know that you have your process and people don't necessarily need to understand it. But let's say there's an entrepreneur at home or somebody in a finance, financial institution or a small business accountant or somebody out there who's listening and they think, okay, well, this makes sense. But how do I start? I actually, I don't have the budget right now. I can't hire you. I'd love to hire right. somebody like you, but I need to be able to just get something up and going. So take us into how they should be thinking about beginning crafting that. How do you come up with those pain points and those questions? Should they be interviewing or thinking about what their existing clients are yes. telling them? Yes. Okay, there so let's get process. into that. Well, let's get into a little bit of how they would begin, because yes. I think this is where people get really stuck when they're uh, looking. Yeah. And you know what? As a marketer, I know that doing my website was infinitely harder <laughs> than it should have but we been. We don't want to do our own stuff. That's why consultants always have work. No one Com wants to focus on their own stuff. Well, it's also harder to get distance. It's like you're in the picture you don't frame with distance. yourself. You don't. Exactly. So you need somebody who can look at the whole picture and go, okay, here's what I'm seeing. And you go, oh my God, that's what I've been trying to say. I just couldn't get it out. So let's let's give them um Yes. And I don't want to be I don't want to be overly precious or mysterious about the process. No, I don't think I'm you are saying, being. Right. But I'm just saying that like when people are like, but we don't really get that you can do it. I'm like, trust me, I can do it. So here are the questions I ask myself when I, or when I ask the group. So I have a, a process for that. And I go, okay, let's talk about first, because I'm a writer and because I believe that even if you don't identify as a writer, the act of writing will pull things out of you that you can't think of. People, I, I didn't write anything because I couldn't think of anything. Start writing. You'll think of something. I'm going to tell you that if you have, if you want to do your own messaging, welcome to the world of writing. You must write. You don't go, I couldn't think of a tagline. You start writing. You open a document or you open a notebook and you write. And here's what I recommend first, because I've done this with groups. Write a scene, write a scene from your life and your work that you'll never forget because it felt, yes, it felt like this was the, this is why you do what you do. Now, you don't just write down, I helped Louise with her thing and it felt good. You write, it was snowing out, everything was closed, but I had this client call and it was my favorite client. And she is so, write about who she is, write about what you talked about, get in the scene. I remember we were both having coffee on our video conference call and I noticed she had a cat. The most random stuff, take yourself out of marketing mind and write a scene from it. I did this with a group of buttoned up financial advisors in suits. I was like, take out your notebooks. And they're like, what? <laughs> and I said, I want you to write a scene of, I don't know what it is to work at this firm. And you can do this at home. I need to see through all of your eyes at once what it's like. So I'm going to give you five minutes, five minutes on the clock, go. And you must show me in the matrix. I need to be able to see, hear, taste, smell something. You can't just describe a thing. So they did it. I gave them literally five minutes. And then I said, why don't you start? I started with the office manager. And she says, started with the most, I mean, this is a financial management firm. She starts talking about how she was helping to research the obituary for a client who had passed away. And they were so overwhelmed and she offered to help to create the obit. Mm. That is not the office manager of a wealth management firm's job. And she started to describe it. She's not a writer. She started, re, I, she didn't start to describe it. I said, read what you wrote. That's what this project did. You read out loud what you wrote to make it real. She read it out loud. She started to cry. Oh. I was like, whoa, that's not what I expected to happen here. She's like, I'm sorry, can I have the tissues? She started crying and then someone else started crying. I was oh, like, this okay. is amazing awesome. because we got a real thing. So I went around the room, everyone read. Not one person talked about financial planning. And oh, I this, say this to you. That gave me chills. I love this. This is like you went laser coaching right in there and got right, right to the heart of it. Love that. Had nothing to do. And love I said, it. you know what's really funny? This is in a wealth management firm and not one person talked about, I felt so great that I saved the money for their retirement. They talked about people who wanted to quit their jobs and retire and how they'd help them get out. They were talking about life choices life decisions and how close they were with their clients. And it gave everyone the chills because what we heard one after the other in five minutes of writing was that they cared about something besides what it looks like they do. That's why I say, forget what you do for a minute. So write that out. 
Give yourself five minutes to write out in full sense and read it out loud to someone who loves you and have them please not give feedback that is editing feedback. We're not editing or fixing. This is the gateless approach to you know creating content, which is you just have the person mirror back what they heard that they loved about it. That's what I did for these guys. And it changed the dynamic of how I talk about work because you started with a thing I can see and touch. Write that up. And by the way, and something I'll make available to you is a, I curated a list of 25 questions and you don't have to do all those questions, but I curated them specifically so that one of them will trip your wire and you'll go, that's what I want to write about. Pick one and write. Give yourself even longer if you can, 10, 12 minutes, and see what comes out. And don't let your pen stop. And don't judge your work. But see what surfaces, because what you think you offer is actually something different than what you offer. And that's where the promise is. The promise of what you, tagline, schmagline, it should be the line when they come to say, oh, this is who you are. Mm -hmm. You thought getting funding would be hard, the hardest thing about your business. You were wrong. Or we write obits for clients. Just kidding. That's not what their tagline is. But so that's the first step. Write it out. That's great. Then here's the next thing to write. This is a great day, like a strategy day for yourself. And write down, what if I could? Or what if we could? This is not something I made up. People use this all the time, creative teams. What if we could? And then just go. What are things you, you could do? That What if I could do this for my clients? What if I did this? Not what if I could come up with a financial plan, but what if I could help them retire 10 years earlier? What if I could help someone look in the mirror and love what they see? What if I could, and expand on it, be big, be bold, think of lots of different things that you could do or small detail things that what if I could make her love this or make him do this? When you have that list, now you have the kinds of ways you want to serve. Then I, then I take people through what's called the idea funnel. Just give you a few short things to write down if you're listening and you have a pen and paper handy. Write down what the assumptions are that you're customer or potential client has about this subject or topic. So maybe if it's a, a you're a bookkeeper, you go, well, they think books are boring. Uh, they think books are hard. They think it's going to be expensive. They think, write down all the wrongheaded assumptions that someone has about what it means to engage with a service like yours or use a company like yours or work with you. Well, people think this about coaches. Write down all the bad things, all the things they're wrong about, but they're assumptions. Then you look at those and you go, Okay, I hear you. You nod to them. You go, I hear you. I hear you doubt. I understand where you're coming from. And then you do. I mean, you have to do this, right? Think about what is the problem. Right. Yeah, what do they really? Well, not only just a counter, because then that might put you on your heels as trying to be defensively defending mm. against assumptions. So I don't go there. I say, what's the context for the work you do? Why does it matter now differently than it would 10 months ago, 10 years from now? Why now? Well, because this happened, because it's Christmas, or because of what's happening with women's rights, or blah, blah. it could be any kind of context, but we want to always glue your stuff to what uh, is called the global frame. Like, why does this matter now? For the financial advisors, it's because people don't trust advisors, namely millennials, whose parents use advisors and maybe they don't. Okay, the context is they need to, but they need to be saving for retirement. So there's assumptions, there's context, why now? And then there's the stakes. What happens if they don't use you or your services? What are the risks besides dying alone? That's great. Stakes are important because yeah. if it doesn't really matter, then guess what I'm not doing. So think about the bigger picture, things that are emotionally at stake or financially at stake, physically at stake, and go deep. Don't just answer them quickly. Be like, that's the answer. Go deeper. Force yourself to go deeper than that. And then the fourth one is the conflict. The Where's the rub? We have context. We have assumptions. We have... Uh, stakes. Where's the conflict? Because out of conflict comes the best ideas. Where do you feel, well, I can't, ah, but they want this, but I'm this. Uh, when you go to a wrestle with that conflict, wrestle with it. What do you feel conflicted about? Write it out. You won't think of it on your own. Then you'll be able to say, oh, I'm struggling with this, but then what they have to realize is this. You'll come to some breakthroughs, but you don't get it by writing marketing copy. So if you go through this process, you will come out, if you really give it time, and write out your stuff and really think about it, you're going to get your wheels turning and you'll have a better way to frame what it is you do for people. Because the last step of that is the discovery and application. Great. What do I do about this thing you just brought up? Awesome. How do I say it in plain English, not marketing terms? And then when you say it the way, like, yeah, and I kind of give you one quick example. Please, as a I love it. Yeah. Financial advisor came up to me. He was like sniffing around me at a conference and he was like, hmm, suspicious of me. Like, do you really <laughs> know what you're doing? And he, so I could tell he was just always on the edge, like sneering and looking at me. And he comes over and he goes, 
all right, I have, I, ask me what I do. I said, okay, Bob. I just use Bob for everybody. Of course, yeah. Uh, Bob, what do you do? And he goes, I help people balance the moving parts of their financial lives. And I said, okay. He goes, well, I said, do you like saying that? And he said, yeah, I think it's really smart. I said, then say it. I, what do you want me to do? Crap on something that you like? Like, I'm not getting into these arguments with people. Like, it's not what I came up with. Why do you want me to bless what you do? So I said, if you like it, use it. He goes, well, no, ha- let me have it. I said, Bob, I'm just going to say one thing to you. Did your ideal client wake up this morning and go, you know what I need? Coffee and someone to balance all the moving parts of my financial life. <laughs> Did they wake up wanting that? Did they wake up needing that? No. I said, you are treading water with cute language. I said, no one, it's smart sounding, but doesn't move people. I said, what are they afraid of? And he's like, they're overwhelmed and they don't want to deal with this financial stuff. And I said, okay, you're getting warmer. And he goes, okay, fine. My new line's going to be, I help people get the life they want. I go, okay, so does Target. I said, now you're too broad. You know, but it's got to try to catch me to come. I said, listen, dude, I need to like spend some time with you to do this. Don't make me do it on the spot. I'm trying to get coffee myself. But you see what I'm saying? hundred like percent. It's like, did that work? It's like, well, does it? Is it drawing in people? Like, yeah. you know, how about I don't want to worry about this? And and there's a million ways to slice it. It doesn't have to be the way you think. It's not pre-scripted. But I love this so much. And I think that there's so many people out there trying to create a script, exactly what you said. And I know specifically in the financial services world, the professional services world, there are people go yes. in and they say, what's your elevator pitch? This is the formula, fill in the blanks. And then people go and, but you have to evoke the motion. But the way that it ends up coming out says, it's just kind of like what that guy said. And that's what the result is. And you think, oh my goodness, uh, no, 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 no. And you know but what? Yeah. But, but Terry, actually, when you're speaking, one of the areas that I think that people are have a hard time with is their bios because that Why? is well because I think it is about them and they they want to be able to connect in a way that's meaningful but it's also sometimes hard for people to talk about themselves how do I wait where where is the bio appearing when you say on the website oh on the website okay like I'm thinking of entrepreneurs or even even for example I was talking to a friend of mine who's a you know senior partner at a, a law firm she's doing amazingly well and she's like had me look at her bio and she said, look at this other person's bio at a competing firm. She said, her sounds way more interesting. I'm like, yeah, she's connecting it to stories and success stories and mm-hmm. about the other person. And every, I think honestly, somebody, including you, could make a fortune just going into a oh, law firm. Oh, people do that. Oh, yeah. yeah. And just literally redo those bios and make them not sound like a formula because as somebody who had to hire a couple lawyers over the last, whatever, 10 years when you get the referral, the first thing you do do actually is go and read that. And it's, they sound exactly the same. So just your framework, how would you maybe tweak that? Or how can that be applied to a bio? Let's just go quickly on that. We don't have okay. to spend too much well, time. Well, the but- truth is the world is content. And what we're finding and you know, with all the mourning people do about, oh, writers are writing for free and there's no jobs for writers anymore. Uh, yeah, everyone needs something written. So uh, bio, I don't worry about so much because I think for the website, there should be two things. Your bio should be a third person, like two or three paragraph. Here's what she is. You know, Bob Smith is a wealth management partner, managing director of da, 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 da. It should be what you did. Those are simple, straightforward things, but then there can be one that's my story. And then you curate something where you say something in first person. I have it on mine. On terrorjustbeshow.com, I have my bio. Someone can copy paste. Here's what she did. Bios are actually, I I could probably make a fortune go around with people's bios, but it would be soul deadening to me because totally. it's like it's just really a list of your stuff. I mean, that's it. It's there's a way, there really is a formula for where to plug that in and how it works. But the story and the way to really see who does that well is to go on LinkedIn because your LinkedIn should not be this cold bio that it sounds like is being read out of a machine. Mine, look at mine. I mean, I say like like I used to have, I've changed mine and that's the beauty of it. You can change it. But on mine, I said something like my, I was neurotic my whole life that I would bore people. So my thing has been to just make sure I'm not boring and it has served me well in my line of work. Because Terry, one thing you people. are is not boring. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. Well, that was always my hangup. Like, Oh God, I don't want to bore people. And so like, 
That would be the worst. But see, that's a neurosis and I compensated for it. But what you, Michelle's laughing very hard. Right now. I'm sorry. You were so funny. But listen, when you write your LinkedIn story, do it in first person and say, hey, for the past 20 years, I've been working as this. And here's what I really loved about it. Like, I can't stress enough just trying to speak normal language about what you've enjoyed. The where people get stopped up is when they try to speak corporate language and they try to be very proper. Those words don't mean anything. No. So if you can tell a store short story, be life's my life doing this, and you know what I really love is this, and da da. That's it. Don't get too hung up about it or feel that you're being braggy. You're letting people know what your background is, which they are entitled to know. Mm -hmm. So they know what unique skill sets you bring to the table. But that is it. That's it. Don't get over worried about that part. Okay. I think that was great. And actually, let's transition. So we've talked about your stand-up comedy and we've referenced your TED Talk a couple times. Everyone loves watching a TED Talk. They're so fun and interesting. And this whole storytelling component is great. Now, you've done two, mm -hmm. one of which called Stop Searching for Your Passion. And FYI, I just by the way, I'll be linking everything. So you don't have to take notes. I'll have everything okay, on the good. show notes page. So people can go reference that um, and they can be listening however they're tuning in today. But your Stop Searching for Your Passion talk has nearly 5 million views. Let's just get into this. Now, first of all, what made you decide to do a TED Talk? And second of all, when you crafted it, did you have a sense that you would be hitting on something popular? Was it your methodology or your way of looking at it that helped you oh, no, connect no, no. to the audience? Okay, so nope. tell us about that. So, no, I had no idea what I was doing. I had never given one. I figured I would, did not qualify, and I didn't feel that I would ever be important enough to do that. And so I had it on my, like, in my mind of like, oh, I just would love to do more public speaking. And I bet if I had a TED talk, that would be even easier. This was going on this summer. It'll be three or four years, four years since I gave that talk. So all I knew is I have contra counterintuitive, controversial, not really controversial, but ideas about things. I'm a fight picker with ideas and occasionally people, but I will think of things and go, you know, I don't know if I like that everyone says this. Like I'm always kind of questioning it. So I have in my brain a couple issues with major things that everyone else likes that I don't really like and I don't know why. So what happened is simple. There was a big TEDx event as there is every year in Kansas City. This is the biggest in the country. And I didn't know about it. I did not apply. I did not go through the typical channels. What happened is some New York Times journalist dropped out because she or he had an assignment. So someone I don't know almost at all, I'd never met this person on Facebook who happened to follow me and liked what I put up there. Again, this is why social media, they just, he liked the cut of my jib, I guess. And he said, Hey, we have an opening. Our company organizes this TEDx event. We, there's an opening. Can I put you in touch with the organizer? Do you think you'd have an idea to do that? And I said, yes, immediately, please today. Now, I had already thought about ideas I'd want to do a TED Talk on, but I had no formula for coming up with TED Talks like I have now. I didn't have a branding process. This is all like in the past few years. So I get on a call with this guy and he goes, so the question is, do you have a TED Talk in you? And I said, I think I might have a few, but, and he goes, well, what are some of the things? Because he saw in my LinkedIn bio that I was like a consultant type and that actually did not work in my favor because they are very leery of people who go in with preaching their thing and talking about themselves. Ted is pure content. And so I said, well, I have this idea that like, this had nothing to do with my business. It was purely an idea I had. I said, I think that two ideas get it in the way of us doing what we want. It's this idea of passion and this idea of fate. So I had pitched it as the twin, twin uh, problems. And he goes, that's interesting. Why is that? And he's a real intellectual. So we just talked about the ideas. He goes, yeah, I like this idea. And I said, follow your passions, really lousy advice. It doesn't do good for anyone. He's like, hmm, why don't you write up an outline of what that talk could look like and let's meet again tomorrow. And then I got back on the call with him the next day and he's, and I went by the way that night and like wrote the opening of the talk, wrote as much of the talk as I could just get it out there again, content, just get it down, show him that you did the work. And he said, this is very interesting. What about this? Da, da, da. Why don't you revise that a little bit and let's get on a call tomorrow. I got on a call with him every day for five days. Wow. As you've assessed it and figured it out. And he's most advice, no, most organizers wouldn't do that. But he really did dig in and he was like, I like this idea. And I like that you're acting as if you already have it. And I said, What other options do I have? Should I buy a plane ticket? And he's like, Yes. Now, here's a little hang up. Yeah. That most people knew they were doing that event for months. This event was in less than six weeks. Oh, wow. So I didn't, I didn't have a talk. I had to write it. He, 
was in there with me with it and helping me. And I didn't have that last line, which really seals the deal on that talk until three days before. Mm. When I tell you pressure cooker um, and that talk, I was like, happy it happened and this is exciting and okay, great. And oh, I got a couple thousand views. Good. Okay. Bye. And then all of a sudden it got featured on the TEDx YouTube page or so it got surfaced and all of a sudden it had a quarter, then a half a million views. And then it crossed a million within the year. And now it's averaging about a million and a half a year. Because yeah. as it gets viewed, it gets viewed by more people. So I believe it's because I had a counter idea. It, it challenges thinking about things the way they're typically thought. So let me just in short tell you that if you climbed Mount Everest, you do not have a TED Talk unless you have something to say about climbing Mount Everest. There are so many talks now, over a hundred and probably at this point, 50,000 talks, TEDx talks. Mine is in the top 100 yeah, I figured it not, had to be with those now those numbers. Because it's growing, right? Yeah. It's growing like mm-hmm. this. You can do a TED Talk and have it on your resume, but if no one watches it, eh, you did it, but no one saw it. And trust me, when people go look at the TED Talk, there's only 100 views. They're like, mm, because it's not actually hard to get one. If you go to the enough organizations and pitch them and it fits them and that organizer likes it, I mean, you're only as good as that person put together, right? They're independent show leaders. The hard part's going to be, was it powerful enough? And memorable enough in your messaging, which is no different than brand messaging, to warrant people's attention for more than a few minutes. 10, 12 minutes is a lifetime on the internet. And mm. my talk is about 10 minutes. I don't think anyone needs to go longer than that. No one's watching 18-minute talks. No, I agree. So, so if you have an idea, great. If you want a book, check out Chris Anderson's book. He is the curator of TED. His book is The Official TED Guide to Public Speaking. No, it's called TED Talks, the official, yeah, the official TED Guide to Public Speaking. You want to know what it requires, you read that book. I read it. And I was like, yes, that's exactly what I thought. Thank you. So <laughs> it's an idea. I was already teaching people to do this before I read that book. And sure. I was like, yes, I'm right on. Because I actually landed someone else a TED Talk before I got my own. I oh. helped him figure out. So someone asked me, hey, Terry, you could probably help him with this messaging. He auditioned for a talk. He was a Boston architect. He wanted to do TEDx Fenway. There was a tryout show, and he had no idea what to do his talk around. We created that thing from scratch. I mean, I really will take credit for that. And then he got it. He tried it. He got the talk, and he got to present at TEDx. And then I did mine, and then I did other people's, and I've helped lots of people with theirs. It doesn't mean I can get anyone a TED talk. I can't get anyone anything. I can only help you get to that best idea, and sometimes it's not there. But I believe, if you're willing to dig deep enough, it's what do you believe about the world that you can challenge their thinking of for their own good? You go in promoting an agenda, you're done. And how can you shift my thinking on a topic so that I feel better about myself in the world? Because the reason we love TED Talks is because they make us feel smarter. They don't make us feel dumb. They make us feel smarter and they give us a way of seeing the world differently. Mm. So it's not just a good story. That's storytelling. That's not TED. There has to be story and idea in equal force. Mm. And if you see yourself as a budding thought leader and you want to share an idea, you can't tell them when to have you. Well, I want it timed with my book. No, just do one and then write your book too. Like having that under you is a great thing. I don't even have a book out yet. And I've, my speaking career has taken off because of that because more people see it. Yeah. I was going to ask about that because I think people think they need the book in order to do the TED Talk. Nope. I still don't have a book. You do not need anything except an idea and a story and a, and a way of delivering it that sounds like you, but is also relatable to a crowd and, and fun to watch. No one's looking at your resume. By the way, if you have a book and you go, I want a TED Talk because I have a book. Be like, and who cares? I don't care about your book. Mm-hmm. Book is not a pass for anything. Yeah. No, I agree so with you. So don't worry about that. No, this is a great message for anyone who's got that dream and wants to go for it. Um, so where do you see the intersection of what we talked about in terms of online messaging versus presenting messaging? Messaging is messaging. There is no difference to me. It's how you execute. The The platform will determine. If you have a message and you're going to put on Twitter, you only have 100 and whatever characters. To, I don't even know what it is anymore. Yeah, but yeah. you have that limited platform. You do Instagram, it should have a visual component. If you do it on stage, you better have a talk. The message has to be very clear to you about what you want to help people understand. And then the way you execute on that depends on the platform you choose. So you could have one message and take it out as an email series, do it as a course, do it as a TED Talk. Um, the difference is that when it's now time to write your TED Talk, we got to talk about stagecraft. What are you going to start with? What's the opening scene? Blah, blah, blah. There, every specific execution of the idea requires attention to that thing. A TED Talk doesn't read like an email and vice versa. 
So there's got to be special attention on that for sure. And it's specific to each thing. But before you do it, you don't start writing a TED Talk until you go, okay, well, what is the reason I'm doing this? No, you know what? I don't even know if I believe that because I did my TED Talk and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And I liked that talk and I've often thought, what a weird one-off because I do this other stuff. <laughs> but now people are asking me to do a version of the talk with career advice, yeah, with branding. So now I'm working through it in reverse, but there's something powerful enough there that there bears seeds of it and other things that I do. Mm. You will find that, but you literally have to write your way there or dictate. You want to talk your way there and then write it down, but you've got to get it out of your head and follow these little exercises, things to get at it. I think people stop short of meaning. That's the problem. Mm. It's not that they don't have meaning. It's not that they don't have something special to say. They only walked far enough to gather the same five words everyone else uses. Mm. Go further. Give more time to it. Stop worrying about party invitations when you didn't even create your house yet. That's, your house isn't ready for a party. Make your house ready for a party before you start sending out invites. It's great. This is so good. Um, Terry, you I'm just you talked about having to be able to convey the message with conviction to be up there and connecting to the audience. Now you do stand up comedy. How did this yes. how did this even become a part oh of my God. your journey? You. Yes, please tell us because I think stand up comedy. Because people yeah, are hearing it in your voice right now. I mean, I think as you're talking, and like I said, I can see you and they will be able to see you when they watch your TED talk, but you're very passionate and very animated. So it'll be interesting. Um, I'm just curious how you got started. Well, the funny thing is my friends, like even college were like, you should do stand-up. I was like, no way. That is terrifying. I remember being like, I would never do that. Well, wait, were but you I, funny oh, as a kid? A little kid. I mean, no one taught me to be funny. I mean, I didn't become funny because I did stand-up. I did stand-up because I knew I was funny. That's what I'm saying. You know I mean? So were you yeah. funny as a little kid though? Always. I was always the same. I'm exactly the same as I always was. Yeah. I always had a sense of humor. However, I will tell you this, you do not need to be funny to do stand-up comedy. And I believe that. You don't have to be a personality. I'm a big ham. I'm a big personality. It's yeah. true. But you don't need to be. There are funny, funny, plenty of wonderful comics who they don't strike. You hang out with them at a party. I've hung out with comics at parties. They're bores. I dated one. He was an absolute bore off stage. <laughs> so here's my point. I did stand-up comedy because I knew I loved and I was doing a lot of public speaking. And I wanted to know what it was like to do. I stopped, I stopped dancing around stand-up comedy. Just go do it. So I took a class. And I took another class and I did shows through those classes and I started doing bringer shows. And I just said, why not try it? it? It sharpened my writing chops and made me sharp in other ways. But I had a wonderful teacher who said, you do not need to have um, some kind of big talent, or big personality to be a comic. You need to know how to craft a joke. If you can craft a joke and make a sharp left turn here and surprise the audience and, and manage their assumptions and surprise them, that's comedy. So, so usually the people who think they're funny, by the way, are the worst comics because they don't, they think they're just funny in a scene with, with their friends. They don't actually have to know how to craft a joke. Mm -hmm. So that was the skill I learned. But the week I did my very first stand-up set ever was two days before my TED Talk. That was the most stressful week of my life. Oh my God, you did it all in one week. <laughs> That's when it was done happening. That last weekend of August, I had my class show, my very first time getting on stage doing stand-up. Not my first time on stage, though. I've been on stage a long time. Yeah. But getting on stage and doing stand-up. Yeah. And then two days later, I'd fly out and do the TED Talk. So I was like, I don't know what is more terrifying, but both things kind of changed my life because I was able to do both. For whether people say to me, oh, I want to take stand-up, take it because it makes you face some demons. It makes you write things that hold people's attention because they want laugh, laugh, laugh every 30 seconds. And you don't have to do that for a living, but it's a wonderful skill to know that you need to hold drunk people's attention. That is not easy. So I do it occasionally. I do a lot more hosting now. So I host events, speaking events. And last night I hosted a comedy event. It was a comedy uh, fundraiser featuring top-notch best-selling authors who are also comics like Annabelle Gerwich and Sarah Cooper and Lane Moore. Um, Phoebe Robinson was there. It was amazing. That's amazing. I need an and invite to, to your next one. I, I want an invite to the next one. I will fly back to the West Coast, uh, East Coast from the West Coast. Yes, it was so fun. And so I do it where I can. And I think that it, we do things because we feel we enjoy doing them and we think that it provides a service. And hosting is a kind of special service and I one that I find I love to do. So I'm seeking that out. Has nothing to do with my other business. I just like doing it. But that's so, what this show's about, Terry. It's about seeking out what brings you joy for the sake of the joy and not necessarily having it pay your bills. 
following your curiosity, see where it takes you, see what lights you up and just have fun with it. Just like kids do. They follow what makes them happy. Was like making people laugh was fun, and also taking care of the other comics was fun, and making sure oh. I felt like I was mama of the event, and that oh. I liked that. Oh. I enjoyed it. So yes, find your pleasure where you will. Yes, and know that you really already are special. You don't have to figure out how to be different. What you have to do is to be willing to go deep enough to articulate the real reasons why someone needs that from you. This is great, and perfect place to sort of wrap up on the content piece. Do you have a favorite book or resource to learn more about standing out? I really am a big fan of Seth Godin. I've had the pleasure of meeting him several times. Um, I love his books. And his most recent book, I've been spending time reading and taking my time reading it. And it's called This Is Marketing, which is weird because I, well, I never worked in marketing. Uh, and I think that what he does is more than marketing. But that book is like a bath for the soul of someone who thinks marketing means self-promotion and who goes, oh, I hate marketing or I hate that part of it. Read his book. It is fantastic. It'll make you go, yes, that's what I want to do. It, it really helps, your, um, helps you connect mission. That's one. And another one, if you want to really get your creative vibes going and understand how to incorporate more creativity in your life, there are two that I recommend. One, people have all read this, Austin Kleon's Steal Like an Artist. Mm -hmm. He has two other books I just bought. I just saw him read. I bought the other two books. I haven't read them yet. I'm sure they're great. But the other one I want to say that I always go back to is The Creative Habit by Twyla Tharp, of all people, an amazing, world-renowned dancer-choreographer who, it turns out, is amazingly well-read, brilliant, and articulate. And that book is a must for anyone who says, I want creativity part of my life. How do I do that? That and, of course, Liz Gilbert. I like yeah. that. Uh, Enjoyed Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay, I'll list those. All of those. Those are great. But everyone knows Liz Gilbert. People don't know that Twyla Tharp has this amazing book. And I think it's a kind of a life changer. It was for me. Yeah, no, it's fun to let them discover new works that they wouldn't otherwise have heard about. So thank you for that. Um, okay, so can you please leave the women listening with your three best tips on how to stand out? Well, yeah, so mine would be don't be afraid to dig deeper and give yourself the chance to really go deep into what you're doing. And don't write things to please, write to discover. Really let yourself dig into that process. If you're not willing to dig in and spend time on it, you're not going to have anything to show for what you want to do. You know, don't write copy. Get into your zone of genius, as they say, and really like think about that. So that's one thing. Two is choose your platforms carefully. You do not need to be on every platform. You need to figure out where you most enjoy being and speak to the people who, where your tribe is. Like I was never a big Instagram person and now I kind of am on it a lot more. I gradually just became interested in it and more invested. And, uh, if you want people to know who you are, get on Instagram and start doing videos. Uh, you don't just need pretty pictures of your cocktail. I do those too, but get your face on there and talk. The reason people hire me and invite me to speak is because there's so much evidence of what I'm like. It's not a, it's not a surprise. Yeah. You spend five minutes looking at my Instagram. You're like, I get it. I get this chick and you'll know whether you like me or not. Are you giving people a chance to see you and where? LinkedIn has lots of opportunities for video and content. So make use of LinkedIn if you're trying to reach people where they are and don't Last tip is don't hoard your genius. If you're afraid to share it because you think someone will steal it, you don't really want to share it. Mm, so good. You think someone's going to steal it? Like someone was like, well, don't share my website copy with, with those people because then they might steal it. I said, uh, excuse me, didn't you want to have this website go live? What would stop <laughs> anyone from stealing it? If you want to hide it, then go right in a corner and don't show it to anyone. Mm. But if you are afraid of people stealing things from you, then you're actually not ready to share. And maybe you give yourself some time or you rethink why you're doing this. Because I find that that hoarding tight, close to the chest energy um, doesn't just hurt your brand, it hurts your business. Totally agree. This was so great. Terry, where can I direct people to learn more about you and your work? Well, I am going to give you guys that that guide with the 25 questions to help you find your big idea. And what you can do is find me at terrytrespicio.com, which you'll see in the notes, terrytrespicio.com slash goodlife. And that is where you'll find your gift. And once you're on the list and I send you an email to say hello, feel free to hit reply and I will say hi back. 
Great. Thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. Appreciate your time today. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. I think it's an important one, especially if you want to stand out from all the people that do what you do and also to figure out the language that clearly articulates who you are and why it is that you're doing what you do. So if you enjoyed this episode, please take a second to share it. And a few of you have asked how to rate and review the show. I actually heard from another podcaster that you need to do it on your computer and not on your phone. So for those of you who have told me that you've had trouble, that might be the issue. So give it a try on your computer and um, on iTunes, it'll say rate and review and you can put the number of stars and then you can write a review. And so that actually helps other people find the show. And it also helps me more importantly, understand what's resonating with you. So it would mean a lot if you would take a minute to do that. And you can always connect with me over at thegoodlifecoach.com and get on the mailing list where I share weekly inspiration. I love to write and I just write from my heart each and every week. And I share my key takeaway from each podcast. So feel free to come join the other women in the community. Thanks again for your time and I'll be back next Wednesday. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.